Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Whether you're a fan of Perfume Genius's intensely captivating songs, his dramatic stage presence, or the hilarious shit he tweets, it might surprise you to find that IRL, Mike Hadrius, the dude behind the Perfume Genius moniker, is really quite shy and very humble, nonetheless quietly hilarious as well, as you'll hear in episode 27 of LSQ. Hey, it's me, Jenny LSQ. Thanks for pressing play and whatnot. I recorded this conversation with Mike at his place here in L.A. late last year, actually. He relocated here last year to start work on a couple of different creative projects, including one he just recently announced, a dance project called The Sun Still Burns Here, that he's co-directing and will be dancing in as well. It's going to be staged... Um, in October in Seattle at Moore Theater, and then in New York at the Joyce Theater the following month. Plus, Mike has already now started work on the next Perfume Genius album, and he even recently tweeted that he's working on two new LPs. Double yay. Oh, and also, the Perfume Genius song Slip Away from his excellent 2017 album No Shape is this week featured in the new movie Booksmart. I mean, you know, beyond this week, but that's when the movie comes out, and it's in a pivotal scene. And that movie is great. I laughed, I cried, I laughed again, I cried again. Anyhow, it also has a killer soundtrack, favorites of mine from Little Dragon, and Run the Jewels and DJ Shadow, among others, also featured, and expertly music supervised by a good buddy of mine, Brian Ling. Nice job. Also, after the interview with Mike from Perfume Genius, I've got an excerpt from a 2002 interview I did with Sean Marshall of Cat Power. Thank you for having me over. Yeah. I know that you didn't begin recording your songs until adulthood, right? Until 2005. Yeah. Well, beyond recording, I didn't start even writing until then. Too. Okay. I mean, I had tried growing up to write, but never could until around 25. I don't know if it was just committing to it, like the actual doing work right. <laughs> that made it happen, or if I was just ready. I think it's more that I think I had something to say and that was the way to say it for the first time and where were you just you know logistically where were you geographically and at that point I was in your in Everett life? which is about 40 minutes north of Seattle living at my mom's house 
And you were you were sort of post college or you post post college. And you were. I, I mean, was there like year. what what were you what were you thinking I mean, at that point? You New might York. do with yourself. Oh, I don't know. That was never <laughs> that never like was part of my life. That whole like future planning, thinking about. I don't know how I missed that, but yeah. I did. Um, I was living in New York for a few years and moved there because I was in love with the boy that lived there, and we were together. And um, ended up not working out, but I was also drinking a lot, doing drugs, and I kind of moved to my mom's house to dry out, I suppose. Interesting. I mean, I knew that you're sober, and I knew that you started writing songs around that time, but so Mm -hmm. you were were getting sober when you started to write songs. Yeah, it didn't happen until I was, had gone to rehab and was sober, like truly sober for a few months. Interesting. I mean, I wonder, and I'm guessing you've probably thought about this some in the course of like getting sobriety or whatever, Mm -hmm. just whether it was always there, sort of the the music stuff was always there and it was quieted or repressed in in an unhealthy way by the substances and you just had to, you had to clear it out. Which is kind of the opposite of the story people usually tell you about like being sad and drinking and doing drugs, you know what I mean? That somehow that's going to lead to being inspired in some way and maybe it does but i can't work i can't actually do anything i didn't yeah. want to do anything but do more drugs when i was doing drugs yeah and um i think for me is that every time i made something like i went to art school for painting it was very angsty it was very like bloody and it's about me but in in a way that wasn't helpful or um it was always kind of bratty and not bratty in a fun way. It was always like, there's no, I didn't, I had no real perspective. It was all um, just my own world. I think when I got sober, I think I kind of actually saw my life and life. And like, I saw like everything that was going on. I wasn't so stuck in my tiny little cycle of problem and fixing it and probably fixing it over and over and also i guess just that like sometimes it takes a while to figure out what the best what you the best medicine is for you and if you think it's one thing when you're younger and it turns out that like i mean i guess that's the thing like is the the inspiration is our substances a source of inspiration for artists or do some artists have pain that they're trying to treat with substances yeah and it turns out that a better way to treat the pain is with like creativity or something. Yeah. Or something. Well, and it, it does work. It's just fleeting and it's not like um, a whole body <laughs> like fix. <laughs> it's really kind of frustrating. Um, but it's real when it happens. I yeah. think that's what I found. And with all my whole life at Sobers, like I will have, I don't ever have moments of like big relief or big feeling, like which is what I always loved about drinking is that every I was doing nothing like I was in a basement just like vacuuming for like 40 hours you know what I mean but I was like yeah yeah I was like this is it like I'm on to something here you know and just in your full body feel that um and now I just have tiny moments or I try to with the music string them together into like a longer moment but it's not empty when it happens but what about going back way before that to just when you were a little kid and the things that made you excited to be creative? I mean, what were the first things that kind of felt like you plugged into the kind of creativity that is still sort of what you're expressing now? 
Oh, lots of things. I think the first record I ever bought was the Edward Scissorhands soundtrack with my babysitting money. Nice. I was really in with Edward Scissorhands. Wait, what is on? Or is it so, is it a score or is yeah, it it's a, a score? Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm forgetting like what the bangers movie. are on the Scissorhands soundtrack <laughs> when they do the waltz in the snow. What is that? It's is that meatloaf? What <laughs> kind of corny choral things, but corny in like a haunting kind of creepy way. And the whole, you know, watching Edward Scissorhands as a kid or like watching Hairspray, like John Waters, I didn't see any jokes. I didn't, it was, I was dead serious about both those movies, but I still could have, underneath I could feel that it was off. Right. And there's something about it being off that I really liked. And um, I think that story of Edward Scissorhands is really dark and beautiful and sweet and still kind of really innocent at the same time. So you went out and you you bought the the soundtrack on like some physical format like a cd or something well there's this record store called silver platters in seattle where you could go they had huge books of all the cds and you give them you just write them down and they would give them to you to listen to which (laughs) yeah that's kind of that's kind of a nice and did that did you get into a sort of music fan phase as a kid um or that was really young that was like seven yeah um where did that take you I didn't really start actively looking for music on my own until I was about 12. And I got, I stole a spin magazine from the grocery store with Beck on it. And I read about Liz Fair. They had like a, almost like a concert review and talking about her stage fright and her lyrics and stuff. And so then I got her record and that essentially changed my whole life. Wow. And whole like idea of what music was. Like Exile and Guyville, I'm guessing. Yeah. It was whip smart. Oh, whip smart. Right. Okay. Yeah. Which I feel like, you know, underrated, underrated because haters at the time who already loved her were like, no, the major label debut, man. (laughs) But in retrospect, it is funny how in retrospect, it's like hilarious to think that a very small portion of Liz Fair fans back then felt jilted by an album that's like, is that her best? I mean, it's definitely one of her two best albums. Yeah. Well, Um, that got me into her. You know what I mean? I got the whole. I got a lot of it from that record. Yeah. And still, I don't know if it's nostalgia that that's my favorite one, but I got Exile like shortly after yeah, that. Yeah, totally. Um, and like I had her, I mean, from that I got into all kinds of different music. I didn't know you could sing about those things. I mean, I was really scandalized by it and got into P.J. Harvey and some other stuff too. But no one else at school. I had a teacher, my algebra teacher was into Liz Fair, but she was the only other person I met. I remember one time I played it for a girl and she only knew Supernova, the single. Right. And she said, isn't this like over? Wasn't this like six months ago? Which is savage as like a <laughs> sixth, seventh grader. Oh my God. Totally. But I remember looking at her and I'm like, oh, she doesn't understand it. Like she doesn't understand music. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, I don't know. They, 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 she was listening to music for way different reasons than I was. I mean, I guess that is the thing that, you know, whether you're isolated or part of, you know, a, a kind of a nerdy community, mm-hmm. like as a kid, and you find, and you figure out that you care that much about music, it's like, it, it can be isolating if they're, if you try to talk to people and you're yeah. not, you know, um, but there was a record store, there was the, the record store yeah. and, and, you know, was that a reliable bliss? Did you just sort of There's this up? place I could rollerblade to called Spox. That okay. was a video rental place and a record store. Yeah. And they would let me rent R-rated movies there too. And I don't know why. And so I'd rent like 
you know, Pulp Fiction when I was like 12 and stuff like that. And so you you didn't even the idea that of of making song it, it truly because you said at the beginning of this conversation you know that you had tried that you had tried writing songs but um, but it wasn't like a long it wasn't like an urge that you had until I mean I, music was the thing I was the most obsessed with right if I could have picked anything <laughs> to do it would have been music it yeah. was like a complete thing for me but I just couldn't connect it just nothing and I always you know wrote lyrics and poems and. Right. you know things like that and i would try to write songs and it felt it just was really difficult right and not in a way that was like a challenging difficult it was just like nothing was, was happening i think what changed is i i i downloaded like a recording thing on my computer and i heard my voice with reverb on it i played the piano with reverb on it and there was like a mood right away like i was i was already like in another world yeah you know and that completely changed it. And I still, that's the only way I write is by, I'm mean, not always, but most of the time I write by recording and by just making sounds with my voice and playing with effects and stuff. And then that will trigger some memory or some feeling, you know, in me. And I think it, because I have so I've been an obsessive music fan for so long. I think if I was going to give a tip to anybody, it would be to listen to music. Yeah. You know, because I've met a lot of really like talent and this can maybe sound kind of bratty or snotty but i've met a lot of really talented people that haven't listened to a lot of music and so the stuff that they make it's like um limited or something yeah yeah but it, were you did you feel once you once you kind of had it going and you were and you were writing songs regularly i mean did it were you super excited to oh, have yeah yeah i was like I hadn't, I don't think I had ever felt like that before. I was obsessed with it because it was like, I went to school for painting and I've always, you know, written in journals and like, you know, been very dramatic and artsy my whole life, but music somehow, and I was making videos for the songs right after I would write a song, I would make a video for it of like footage I found online. And it, every, it was just like everything I had wanted to do, like everything that, I mean, it was a very spiritual feeling. It's like I was pulling, finally pulling from all the places that I wanted to pull from. And it was coming together in something that I thought was genuinely good, not good to show somebody. Because a lot of my art used to be just like, check this out. You know, <laughs> it would just be like, what do you think of this? And it was just like, you know, some bloody thing, you know what I mean, with real blood and like hair and stuff like that. And I was like, what do you think of this? And it's essentially just like everybody was like, my parents are going to check this out. What do you think of that? And so I could tell when I was making something like, this is like truly good. Like I was um, good. Not what? good like like that everybody's going to like it or technically good or anything. Just good that I felt like I was coming from the right place finally. Right. That's supposed to always come from. What I'm just curious, sidebar though, what did your parents think of the hair blood stuff when you would say here look at the <laughs> well like, my that's mom nice. that's my mom nice. would always ask me why can't i make anything like nice and sweet that's what she would always say and they would try to you know my dad just didn't really get it at <laughs> all yeah at what point did you start to think about like these because you were putting the putting the songs together to release mm -hmm. and initially on your own or what was the no, sort just of on on myspace i was just putting them up in the right. videos oh, yeah, on youtube MySpace. That <laughs> yeah. that's right and I mainly the motivator was just to show my friends that I was actually making something because I had a lot of friends that were in bands and um, 
and stuff. Yeah. And so I wanted them to, I was just proud that I was making something up. Right. To show them, essentially. But at what point did it become a thing where you're like, you know what, actually, if I spend more time on, this could be the thing, a thing that I spend a lot of time doing. I could go play shows and I could release my music or something. How did that start to happen? thought that far until like a, my first record label contacted me like flew out to meet me and stuff from and the much just from listening to songs on, on my could you sense that people were i mean were people sort of starting to flock to it at a certain point did you sense that like oh wow i mean i know how the internet works and shit but like this is cool people besides yeah, i mean friends. not a ton of people but um I was getting people writing to me and commenting and things yeah. like that. And, well, and, and actually so re- listening and to the record label beyond that, just people I know. Right. And the record label that hit you up is the one you ended up releasing music with? Yeah. The yeah. first few records were with them. And then through then they were licensed through Matador. It's kind of like a 360 deal. Yeah. And I think it's because my best friend, Kara Lee, was in a band called Juju mm-hmm. and she, at the time. And she put, do you remember Top 8? Yeah. She put my profile in their Top 8. And through that, Gareth from Los Campesinos found me through that. It's crazy how influential that top eight thing was for yeah. one brief shining moment. Top eight is important. But when did you start to put, put all put all of your efforts into it and regard it as like your as like your job and this and the thing that you were hoping would be all cons- all occupying? I mean, it was all very like patched. You know, all those experiences kind of one right after the other. I never, I had never thought about the future before. I mean, I was working at Fred Meyer, which is like a, like a nice, nicer Walmart. I was just working there. And then I did my first photo shoot for a magazine and then I just stopped going. I just stopped going to work. I was like, okay, like I think it's time to just not go. Stupid because I didn't have any money. Um... But I didn't know I was going to get paid or that I would be able to live off of it or anything. I mean, I mean, I got sober and I wrote all those songs and then I wasn't sober for a while. Right. And then I got sober again. I don't know. I just have never yeah. really been ambitious. Even now, I kind of, I'm ambitious like in my brain about like what I want to make. But as far as, um, you know. Yeah, the career steps or whatever, like plotting. For... I mean, I hope it all happens, but I never yeah. really like am fueled by like I, you know. I remember one time someone asked me if there's certain venues that you've always dreamed of playing. I would love to play some of them, but I've never really dreamed of playing them. Yeah, switching over to talking about the creative side of things. I mean, obviously, those earliest recordings, in addition to being home recordings and lo-fi, you know, were sparse, musically sparse, and obviously from there your music has expanded sonically a great deal. And I wonder if you could, you know, even those early songs where you sort of picturing the bigger version, how much of the music that we've heard from you more recently was sort of what you kind of had in mind early on or has it, or has it really evolved yeah, for you? Like none of it really. Yeah. The so, second album I went to the studio for the first time. Yeah. And then the third album, I kind of wrote knowing I was going to go into the studio. So I thought, oh, then I can have real strings on this and stuff like that. And then with this last one, I knew that I'd have way, I, I could kind of see what my opportunities were going to be and what the capabilities were for the songs while I was writing them. You know, but it, I kind of had to learn all that as I went along. And so now it must sort of feel like, okay, well, you any any 
idea you might conceive of is possible because you know what the situation is going to be and and recording with blake mills um seems to have been the beginning of a collaborative relationship Mm -hmm. is that i'm i'm guessing you might revisit or yeah for sure i mean i think i'm just assuming i'm gonna make the next record with him i don't see why i wouldn't we worked really well together and i just really um admire him and the way that he plays it's very it comes from a different place than i do but we have like a shared we kind of love the same things and we love the same sounds and stuff like that so i mean when i'm making something that's the most exciting part is when someone brings something to it that's in the world that you're trying to make but not what you would have thought of or exactly like it you know (laughs) either and i'm guessing like temperament too has something to do with it just like who you can spend that kind of intense time for that many days or weeks or whatever i mean at this point are you you're here in eagle rock and Mm -hmm. um you know you're sort of between albums is this sort of the beginning of the phase of writing start brewing yeah yeah it is i'm kind of nervous about it just because it's usually really hard for a few weeks because as much as i like all these opportunities coming and the way it's changed i kind of need to shake all of it off in order to make something good (laughs) because I I end up making I end up thinking about the studio too much while I'm writing or the label or who's going to listen to it you know I kind of I've been on tour for like a year and a half and all I've been doing is like playing music in front of people watching me and so I I can you can have all of them in mind in the wrong way at first when you write and I've never really found a way to make that not be part of the story of writing have you have you found that that they're the songs that you end up uh, feeling the most strongly about yourself on on each album are ones that felt different when they in the moment of their conception. Like, does the uh, songs that you end up loving do they do they come out more easily, or they do they come out um, more difficultly? <laughs> I mean, I don't know how much of that is just your relationship with the song. Usually, I like the ones that came really easily, just because the memory of making them was easier. Right. Um, the ones that I like labored over, I can be proud of, but maybe I don't love as much just because because um, it was hard. And I kind of hate uh, work. I hate um, I hate listening to something over and over. I'm, I like the beginning of everything much more, like having the ideas and seeing where it's going to go and then knowing that it could be this thing, this like beautiful thing, then I like that more than actually trying to make it. Right. So like my demos, I love my demos because I can hear, even if it's not there, I can hear what it's kind of always, it's all there in my head while I'm listening to it. And then the execution of it is usually different. It doesn't mean that it's better or worse. It's just usually different. So a lot of the simpler songs that came out easy, they end up being that way more on the record too. They are um, simpler and more like what I had in my head. Do you think that the evolution of the sound of the songs correlates to growing confidence performing them live? Like, I think so. Yeah. Well, knowing that I'm going to actually do that. Right. <laughs> but I'm curious, not having seen any of your earliest live performances, I mean, for starters, I guess, just sort of at what point in making this music did you start playing? You know, what were what were those early shows like? Or have you always been, as if I might say captivating <laughs> i mean no did it come naturally to i would, you or is it I like would a... vote no on that <laughs> i mean i didn't have to watch myself what did you do it for i mean did you I was sit so there nervous. Did you just sit... i was so scared and you know i was just behind the piano the whole time 
I had never, I mean, those, that first record was the first songs I'd ever written, the first time I'd ever sang, and the first shows I played for it were the first times I'd ever done any of that in front of other people. I, the first show I played, I didn't, the sound guy had to run and put the mic like next to my face because I wasn't even singing into it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and um, I was so scared and nervous. And the, it was enough for me just to do the songs. I almost would black out. There'd be times I'd click into it and it would feel very like spiritual. Um, but I think, I guess people liked that. Um, <laughs> I guess. But that, but now we see you on stage as a, a different kind of MC, you know, as a mm-hmm. more of a master of ceremonies than, you know, the sort of modest behind the piano. Yeah. But how did you find your way there? I mean, did you have to just make a mental flick, a mental switch at a certain point and let go? And and you know, and obviously you've said this that you were sober, then you weren't for a minute. And so I'm sure that with stage presentation mm. that is a factor is like your sobriety or not but well but, yeah for sure i mean because sobriety is a sin- well, to me it's just like being aware all the time it's just not <laughs> i don't know it's not like my default like cool place yeah but when did it start to get easier to because it's watching you perform on stage now it seems like you like fucking love it and yeah. it and that's part of I what do, makes it enjoyable i to watch it wasn't well, just like everything I do, I kind of try to write, I try to write songs that are outside of my range, which is not always a great thing to do, or like just push myself. And the same with how I perform now. At first, I wasn't faking it, but I was like, I'm going to do this. It wasn't natural because it was scary and weird and I had never done it before. So I was just like, I'm going to, this record, I'm going to be in front and I'm going to dance. I'm going to try to let go as much as possible. Um, and the more I did it, the more things that, you know, were uncomfortable become second nature and you don't think about them anymore. And the more times that the things happened that I was worried about, like I sang really bad or I fell or I looked, looked ugly or whatever, like all those things have happened and I still was getting booked to play shows. So, right. (laughs) um, yeah, you're like, it's all relative. Good. Good. It's almost like a war with myself. I wish it was more about the people watching. And it is the more I do it now, and especially with this record, but it's more like me trying to like push myself as far as I can, even physically now. Like, almost like a spiritual like fight to try to get somewhere like ecstatic where I'm not thinking about myself or the people around me or who's watching, you know. Because a lot of that is just that's what I want to see. The kind of shows I like is just people look like they're freaking out. Yeah. Um, or just they're so lost in it, which is just very hard to do because, you know, you're in like a weird building with a bunch of people looking at you. But if you use it right, that that can heighten it and it can make you like it could be like a portal. Do you as you started to feel more comfortable with that and again in this sort of phase of knowing that you're going to be able to record in studios that have all the things you might want? have you felt your view of the of this the whole thing like does it become increasingly a big visual for you do, where it's not just about imagining what the next thing will sound like but what the next thing will look and feel oh, like yeah yeah for sure is there like a mood it's board so or any i mean is it oh, keeping yeah. that kind of thing yeah i mean i just made i just directed a video for the first time 
and I was so I'm so proud of it and it was because I felt like it was the first time where like the world I had envisioned was almost eerily accurate when it was like executed what was the um, what was that song was it's not out yet okay. it's for a cover of a Bobby Darren song that I did oh wow yeah <laughs> yeah that's the funnest part of this whole thing for me. I mean, a lot of it, even in being in a music video, it feels like when you're a little kid and you're like dancing in your room with a, like a sheet or something. Yeah. And I essentially danced with sheets for three minutes <laughs> in this last video. And while I was doing it, I was like, I just, I felt like I was like four, which is very, it's kind of embarrassing, like having a bunch of people watch you doing it, but it's really freeing too, because um, you just, you finally feel like as pretty and like connected and like, as you always you know, you felt like that when you're little. You just yeah. believed, you know, you're in your room, but you believed something about what you were imagining was real, you know? Yeah. And that's what a lot of, like, the visual part is for me. But I get to kind of create, like, a whole mini world through the press photos and the album cover and the videos and, and everything. When you're actually deep in the process of, of, of writing and demoing and really it's starting to come together, I mean, are, do you even, is it even possible to think about some of, like, what is this song about or what is it? Because I, I want, what I wanted to ask initially um, is, is like, oh, when, you know, the things that inspire you, do they teach you about yourself or do they remind you of who you were as a kid you know these sort of flashes of where you're like oh shit that's right i loved whatever a sort of mm. nostalgia thing that only in the moment of dancing with the sheets can you really <laughs> tap into or whatever mm. like when you're in the when you're creating songs are those other memories circulating at all or is it is you know is the process so much more foggy than that and you and you um I know that's a very abstract No, question. I mean, it's like a balance. It's a balance thing. And I think that's what I enjoy about it is how you could start from very hippie, like, you know, to me, I'm very dramatic about it. It feels like magic. It feels very spiritual when I'm writing. But I am also can be very, like, mathematical and very specific about it, especially with lyrics. I really like puzzling lyrics out and thinking of, of ways to say things that are, like, really pleasing to me, but not in a hippie way. It's more like a like a math way. Like even when I'm reading books, there's like a rhythm to writing that I like. Um, and if I can't feel the rhythm of the person writing, then I, even if I like, even if I know it's good or I'm enjoying it in some way, I can't, I can't read it. And so I have the specific um, rhythm and when I'm writing lyrics and I like, that's kind of, a, it's a hard yeah, thing like to talk a about. Yeah, like the cadence of the syllables. Yeah, because I'm thinking about Liz Fair again um, mm -hmm. when you say that because I can hear what you mean with your songs and the the tendencies of phrasing that feel expressive to you and I love artists who work do magic with syllables you know what mm -hmm. I mean where it's just like oh it's is that the melody that I love or is that the pacing of the fucking syllables yeah it's, you know <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to know I mean even you know queen you know even don't you know it's yeah. like if it wasn't for the pacing of the don't it's just like there it well, is yeah, right it's just, there the magic you know, all of it is just this weird little balancing thing where you want it to feel a certain way but also mean a certain thing and um and who are some of the artists sort of in general you know as a fan do you consider 
that level of inspiration where you're like, okay, if I could someday do the kind of work that that, that artist does. Like who are the sort of holy grail people? I mean, it's kind of all over the place. I remember going to see David Lynch movie when I was, with my dad took me to Lost Highway when I was 14. So good. And like had me cover my eyes during certain parts where I only had like one eye covered, you know? And my dad didn't like the movie. And I told him I didn't like it either, but I was obsessed with it and read the screenplay and the music in that movie. um, So good. So good. All of his movies, really. But he's kind of, his movies and the scores for those have been really influential to me. And Twin Peaks 2 came out when I was 10 or something, maybe younger than that even. But my babysitter was in Twin Peaks, and so I was allowed to watch it even when I was little because... Excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) My babysitter Phoebe played a character named Ronette Pulaski who was in like the first few episodes. Kind of deep in the lore of it. But even though I knew it was fake because I knew her, they were so... Like, even now, just, like, hearing the music and stuff, like, I'm instantly back there. Yeah. Um, and Liz Fair, for sure, and PJ Harvey, Bob Dylan, as I got older. But a lot of those dudes, like, it's so dudely, all that music. And I love it, but I don't feel like I'm um, a part of it. It's not music for me. And so I love writing in that way or thinking about those people and writing music where... I feel like I'm completely like involved in it. You, as you've said, you're not the like fo- you're not pl- prone to plan super specifics for mm-hmm. for the future. But are there things that you are there creative goals that you have that you still or things that feel like maybe uh might sound a little bit you know o- overly ambitious or just like way far down the line? But do you have kind of now that you know that you can make kind of your creative visions a reality? Are there some Things you haven't done yet that you that you dream about. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I'm yeah. just very dedicated to getting better, but it's all guided by whatever the music is, you know. And I'm I never really know what it's going to be until I go in there and try to make it. And then from there, all you know, I was ambitious with this record and who I wanted to work with, and you know, people I maybe would have been scared to ask to help me realize some of this. A few years ago, I, I was confident in asking now. And I wanted things to be more thought out and polished, you know. And I guess my only ambition is it to be even more thought out and polished. Yeah. And polished by me, I mean, just being thoughtful about every little piece of it. Right. And I think it can, it was so overwhelming at first that just making the music was important enough. And then performing was so overwhelming that just getting up there and singing was the most important thing but as those i've gotten used to those i can kind of put my hand in in everything more um and not be overwhelmed but i kind of am overwhelmed really easily just by nothing like i just wake up overwhelmed and i barely do anything and i avoid everything as much as possible but (laughs) that's my eternal war with myself is just to keep being uncomfortable and keep like doing stuff even though like I might even though I kind of am uncomfortable doing it. Yeah. And I never want to stop doing that because everything good in my life has come from me doing things anyway, even though they I'm they don't feel instinctual or those are difficult. Well thank you so much for taking the time to oh, chat welcome. with me. Thanks for coming over. Yeah. 
Come to think of it, I can't remember if it was late 2002 or early 2003 that um, I recorded the interview with Cat Power that you're going to hear an excerpt from coming up next. I just know it was cold in New York, and it was before Cat Power released that awesome album, You Are Free, her sixth studio LP, which came out in early 2003. And I was assigned a feature on Cat Power for Rolling Stone, so I got to hang out with Sean a bunch of times, uh, including an occasion at a noisy restaurant. I apologize for uh, the noise pollution on this track, but um, I thought it was interesting when I stumbled onto this that in the clip she talks about how she thinks it would affect her career if she were to have a child, which she expresses she wants to do, and that's something she subsequently has done. In fact, her latest album, Wanderer, which came out late last year, is her first since having a kid and really was influenced by that experience. Let's listen. But, I mean, are you happy being a professional musician? I mean, obviously it's not something you you aspire to do. I accept it now and realize that it's sort of, like, become my trade, you know? But uh, I would really like to work as, like, a painter and paint paintings or work as if I was, like, doing... If I could change what I'm doing, I would want to... um, probably be a mom or but yeah I think I've accepted it more and realized okay well instead of being rejecting it so much I think I'm like accepting that this okay this is what I'm doing this is what I enjoy it I do enjoy it I do enjoy it definitely there are things that are negative like not being in one place for a very long time and missing your friends, never see, rarely seeing your, your close friends and things like that. But being able to go to different places and um, experience different places. I don't know how much I'm learning, but I feel like I'm seeing new things a lot, which is stimulating, but it's also tiring. But I mean, do you get enjoyment out of like singing and playing your yeah. guitar? Yeah, I do, definitely. I mean, Sometimes it's hard to focus because of something that might have happened on the way to the show or the relationship you have with the sound man or the club owner or the you know the front row or um, how it sounds. No, I don't I don't mean performing, I mean like I love do you playing, enjoy like writing songs and Oh yeah, absolutely. It's normal. So like if you like stopped like if you ended your career like your career you would do you think you would always Yes. Write songs. Absolutely. Yes. Definitely. Do you think you'll be a professional musician for a long time? I don't know. Depends on if I have a baby. If I ever get pregnant, I'm going to stop. Is that like a major life goal? It's not. Well, it's definitely not now. Like it's not like something I want to do. But it's something that I I I would I would like. <laughs> I don't know if it happens, I would like it. I would. I think I would like it. I, I don't want to like make make it just to have it. Right. If it happened, I would. I would. I would be excited about it. And that would. I think that. I think that would. That would ground me, and that would force me to. Um, you know. You know, stop playing music. You know, wandering around. Like, I would still make songs and stuff. 
stuff, but I would have a focus. Yeah, I will embrace it, but I I don't want to. Yeah, I would embrace it when it comes, definitely. I would be excited about it. But I don't want to make it happen just to, you know, make it happen. But I think it would be, I think it would be a great experience. Alright, well, that is about it in episode 27 of the LSQ podcast. Massive thanks to Mike Hadrius of Perfume Genius and to Cat Power Sean Marshall for indulging my questions. And uh, thanks to you, of course, for listening to this stuff. When you've got feedback, you can reach me at Jenny LSQ. Uh, the next episode features a conversation with Imagine Dragons frontman Dan Reynolds, one of my favorite interviews I've taped for the series so far. I'm excited to have that for you in another few weeks. Also, I'm going to be adding a new feature to the episodes, at least occasionally, where you'll get another shorter interview clip with someone who isn't a musician but who's obsessed with music. And, uh, yeah, I don't want to say too much about that yet, but I've got some exciting guests lined up. And stick with me here if you haven't subscribed yet. Come on, do it. I'll talk to you next time.